It's like there's one. There's a meme going around on uh, Facebook. Those of you who are into that garbage like me, you, you can't help it. But there's a picture of Forrest Gump going, and he's looking, and he goes, "Just like that, it stopped snowing, and it was 80 degrees." You know, it's just it's amazing how it uh, it does that. So. I want to thank the worship team for their, their music this morning. I want to thank Brian for his musicianship uh, at the drums. Um, I love to play music. Uh, I like to play guitars, and, and I fool around on the drums, and we have a drum set at home. And, but I can never, uh, you know, when I have tried it, can never make it sound like Brian. And sometimes at school, I'll sneak down in there, and nobody's looking, I'll be banging around and stuff. Anyways, Brian, your, your paradiddles are excellent and your, uh, your rudiments are good, so if you're not a drummer, you have no idea what I just said there, so. Well, it's been quite a while the last time I've been to Washington, D.C., but every time I go, I love to, to visit the monuments and stuff, and, and we used to take uh, eighth graders over on a class trip. That was always interesting. Um, for some kids in our community, and uh, Graham, Northwestern, pretty much the same. For a lot of times, this is for kids. This is the first time they've ever been to the big city, where they've actually ever seen. Like, wow, you know, there's so much more out there. And one of the, the uh, neat places you can visit, of course, is the Washington Memorial. Many of you have been there and have seen it. A very tall obelisk. You know, it was a memorial to, to George Washington, and well, one time we got up there, and uh, there were a lot of people scattered out all over the mall and all over that area. And this was before they had built the, the World War II memorial and all that, so there was a lot of land out there. So we get in line to, to get into the Washington Memorial. Now, they got an elevator that takes you all the way up there, so you don't have to, to climb up the stairs or anything, so we get in line. And the lady in the line says, it's a one-hour wait for the elevator. And the kids are like, oh, an hour. And she goes, but there's no waiting for anyone who wants to take the stairs. And everybody was like, ah, oh, uh, we'll wait an hour. You know, I'm like, oh, come on, let's, let's take the stairs, you know. No, no. So one kid, he said, I'll take the stairs. So he runs up the stairs. Within five, ten minutes, he's up at the top, and he's waving down at us. Hey. And I'm like, you know, that kid, he, he knows what it's all about. He took it, saw it, took advantage of it, took off. It just reminds me of how, you know, we hate to be bothered to do things. We hate to, you know, we're so used to being in our, our daily grind, the rat race, that whenever something unexpected happens, it just throws us all off and we become discombobulated and I mean, I know when I'm sitting in my easy chair, if, if I can't find my remote, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to have to get up and walk over to the TV and change the channel. And I'm just, it makes me mad. I don't want to do that. And I'm thinking, you know. I can remember being a kid, and we didn't have such things as remotes or, you know. I was the remote. My dad said, hey, get up and go turn the TV to channel 10. Oh, okay, Dad. I was the remote, so... But we don't like to be bothered. Sometimes we'll, we'll shoot a text off to somebody, and if they don't respond within a minute or two, you're like, what's the matter? Why aren't they responding back to me? I didn't get a text back. Well, what are they doing? Maybe they're thinking something. Maybe they're, no, maybe they just never answered their phone yet. But we get so worried about it, and we live in a world where we want results right now. We want stuff now. 
with as little effort, preferably, as possible. I mean, my track kids, we're down to, I mean, we've had so many injuries and, and things this year, it's been insane. But these kids, they want the medals, but they haven't learned yet. You've got to put in the work to, before you can get the medal. You, you, gotta, you, know, you have to work at this stuff. And so many times, you know, I see that in kids today. They want the A without having to work for it. They want the, the medals without having to go through all the hassle to get there. <clears throat> and it's just human nature. We, we, we don't like to be bothered with things like that sometimes. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 3. And I want to look at an example of where Jesus was kind of caught off guard and he was forced into engaging in ministry in a time that was not really convenient for him. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So we're, it's, uh, it's the Sabbath day. And if you remember, on the Sabbath day, Jews were supposed to, to rest. And, if, you know, you weren't supposed to really engage in any kind of work or labor and, and you know, and we'll talk about that, why God had imposed this idea of a Sabbath. But anyways, uh, so they go into the synagogue, verse, three, or verse 1, and he, he entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. He probably had some kind of defect, or maybe a palsy, well, I'm not sure, but something was, was wrong with his hand. And they, who were talking about the Pharisees, they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. He said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved in their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. So here you have the Pharisees who have been trying to catch Jesus breaking a Jewish law so that they could bring him before the Sanhedrin, that's their religious council, basically looking for an excuse to give them legal cause to prosecute Jesus. They want to get him out of there. They're, they're, Jesus is causing all kinds of trouble if you're a Pharisee. So Jesus enters the synagogue. He finds the man with the withered hand. Now, it would have been more convenient for Jesus to, you know, maybe heal the guy on any other day of the week. Jesus knew, if I take action here, if I heal this guy, they're going to get on me again. There's going to be a showdown. I know what they're waiting on. You know, but the need was evident. And Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, decided to show mercy and go out of his way to heal the man. I mean, it would have been easy for Jesus to say, Hey, hey, buddy, come up here. Why don't you, you come back tomorrow about the same time and I'll heal you. Just have faith and believe. I mean, that would have been a miracle. I mean, we would have all been happy to have seen that. Wow. 
you know, Jesus made a promise. But no, Jesus saw the need, and despite the circumstances, despite the fact that it was not convenient for him, that this was going to cause him trouble, he said, look, is, is it better to do good or to do harm? Is it better to save a life or to kill? Jesus would often do this. He would frame his questions in extremes. The obvious implication is that failure to do good or to save a life was wrong and not in keeping with God's original intention for the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath to be a blessing to mankind. God, you know, he created the world, uh, you know, on the seventh day he rested. Eventually, the Sabbath was sort of a memorial to that. And the idea was, you guys work hard all week long. Let's have one day where you can rest, where you can recalibrate, where you can, you know, make your relationships right, where you can be together with your family, whatever your blessing is. The Sabbath was meant to be a blessing for people. That's why God that's what God had intended for. And that's what Jesus is trying to, to demonstrate. The Sabbath is not something that was created to be a burden that would make turn men into slaves and make them have to fulfill all these regulations. And Jesus knew that by taking action it would cause him to be in a confrontation with the Pharisees. He saw the need. He knew he was the one who could meet that need, and he acted, despite the fact that he knew it was going to cause a scene, going to cause a situation. Jesus understood that being in ministry is, is not always convenient. There's not always a convenient time to, to be the body of Christ. You think about the Bible and some of the stories. It's not, it wasn't convenient for John the Baptist to follow Jesus. You know the story of John the Baptist and all the things that he did, and he sort of just gave up his life to be a, a witness that Jesus is coming, that the Messiah is here, and we need to get ourselves ready. That eventually cost him his life. It wasn't convenient for Stephen to serve the Lord. You read in the book of Acts, you know, his commitment to Jesus Christ led, you know, Saul and his friends to stone him. You know, I think as long as Paul lived, he probably never forgot the martyrdom of, of, of Stephen. I think that was something that drove him on in his ministry. I was responsible for that. I had Stephen, one of the, the you know, the first really heroes of the church. I killed that man because he believed in Jesus. And now here I am, a, 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 an apostle of Christ. It wasn't convenient for James to serve Jesus. He was one of the first to be martyred in the book of Acts. And on and on and on it goes. You can find many examples of people who gave their lives to follow Christ. Not just to follow, but to serve him. To get involved, to do something in the name of Jesus. It was never convenient for them to do things. Now, unlike these disciples, and we've been talking about the apostles, I don't think any of us are in danger today of being beheaded for our belief. 
I don't think if we take action, somebody's going to stone us to death and throw rocks at us. Um, but each of us has to be willing to step up, I think, and serve the Lord even when it's inconvenient to do so. Uh, oh, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy, uh, this is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, who he considered to be sort of his uh, apprentice, I guess, in the faith. He was kind of teaching Timothy how to be a leader, how to handle the church. And, and Timothy was a pretty young guy, but in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verse, two, uh, verse 1, I'll just start reading here. I think I want to read 4 through 5 probably here. I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the, to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they'll turn away their ears from the, tr the truth and will turn aside to, to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It's interesting, uh, verse 2, he tells Timothy, look, you've got to preach the word and reprove, rebuke. I mean, that's what teachers do. That's what a pastor does. That's what an elder does. But he lays this little piece on there about be ready in season and out of season. Be ready at all times. The Greek word for, or for this phrase, to be ready, it, it has a broad range of meaning that includes the idea of something happening suddenly. Be ready. I mean, it, it may happen suddenly. You've got to be ready you know, when it happens. It's sort of like a soldier being ready to do battle at a, at a moment's notice. You know, Minutemen for Christ. You know, these guys are ready to, you know, at a moment's notice to go and... and and do whatever. You know, it amazes me here at church how fast we can get things organized when there's a real need. The deaconesses, uh, they can organize a meal for a hurting family like that. Uh, there was a meal served to a family downstairs about a year ago. There probably weren't 20 people in their family that came over. We had a spread that took up the whole back wall of the fellowship hall. I mean, it was fantastic. The food and you know, everything was set up to serve them. And I know they threw all that together within a day or two. It just, just out of nowhere. I mean, the women got together, we're getting this done. And I've seen that over and over and over again. It's not always convenient to serve a family in need. I mean, we've got lives, we've got jobs, things that we got to do, and all of a sudden, er, got to push pause, we're going to go serve these people. God bless them. You've got to be ready in season. 
and out of season. It just amazes me, and on and on it goes. Well, I know today is was communion day, and I usually could go for, man, I could probably go for an hour here. No, I'm not going to do that to anybody, but I do want to mention something that happened to, to me just this week, and I have permission from the, the gal who went through this, and I'm talking about Cheyenne Lowe, and I think it was Wednesday night, I got a call from her that, you know, things aren't good, and and she's given me permission to tell this story. I mean, she had struggled with her pregnancy the whole time. And she had lost a baby before, you know, a year or two ago or whenever it was. Anyways, uh, but she was hanging on, hanging on. And finally this week, she went in for a regular checkup. They uh, listened for the heartbeat. Nothing there. They're thinking, what, you know. And so did the ultrasound, and the nurse said, I don't know, we need to get this looked at, and Cheyenne said she knew, she knew. And so off to the hospital, and then I got a call that evening about what had happened. So I went down there and met with her, and uh, you know she told me the story, and her boyfriend was there, the father of the child. He was just a young kid, and uh, he was just taking it horrible. And my thought was, what am I what am I going to say to these people? What do, what do I do, you know? Uh, I know a lot of people have been through this. My family's been through uh, miscarriage. Uh, others have, a lot of people within the church, it's something that's quite common, but still devastating when it happens. And so when I left, they were just getting ready to induce labor, and she said, well, I'll, I'll let you know when it's over. I said, okay, I'll be praying for you. So I left. And a couple days went by, hadn't heard anything, so I texted her, well, how'd it turn out, you know, I'm still in the hospital, still waiting. I'm like, good night, you know, and she finally had the baby yesterday afternoon. They had tried everything. I mean, when the, when the body's not ready to have a baby, I mean, they don't want to have a baby, that's just the way it is, and, but uh, the baby was delivered, and she called me and wondered if you know, if I could come down and do some kind of a baptism, some kind of a little service, because they wanted something for the, the child. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I'm cover- At the time when I got the call, I was covered head to toe in wood chips and dirt, and I'd been cutting wood, and I'm just a mess. And I'm like, I'll, uh, I'll be down there in, in about an hour. Be there when I can. So ran off and got, you know, I'm getting ready. And, and I'm thinking, she uh, had mentioned, you know, she likes songs, love music. And this was supposed to be something that, you know, would be a moment for them to help them through their, their grief. And I thought, well, the best person I know for music is Jen Haynes. So I call her up knowing I'm really putting her on the spot here. You know, imagine yourself getting this call. Hello, uh, yeah, this is the pastor. Uh, we got somebody that just miscarried. Could you come down and sing a few tunes? <laughs> I mean, what are you going to say? Like, holy smokes. Sorry, Jim, but that's exactly what I did. I put her right on the spot and said, we, we got 
So Jen meets me down at the hospital, Neola goes with me, and in we go, and, and there they are. Cheyenne, I knew very well. Her boyfriend, a man that I didn't know, just a kid. And there, in this tiny little bassinet, was their 20-week-old son, about the size of your cell phone. And I'm like, what in God's name am I going to say to these people who I don't even know if they're Christians, if they're really committed to Christ. All I know is they want their child to be dedicated to God in some way. And, you know, I told Jen, we're making this up as we go. And we went in, and we had a nice little service. Jen sang, uh, Jesus loves me, uh, verses that I had never heard. They were just unbelievable. And Jen, we just love you for that. Just an amazing moment. Very touching. And at that moment, it dawned on me that we're really ministering here in the name of Jesus. And what a blessing it really is for us to have that, that opportunity to do that. An inconvenience? Absolutely. I didn't want to go down. I'm sure Jen didn't want to go. But ministry is not always convenient. There, are, When you see a need... There's, you have to move. You have to do something to meet that need. To be the hands, the feet, the voice of Jesus. To minister to somebody in the moment of their greatest need. And when it was all done, you know, I couldn't help but think, you know, in the midst of this, it was, to me it was, a, it was a terrible blessing. Terrible in the sense that this family is going through this. Terrible that that we went and, and we, we stumbled through it and did the best we could. And, but yet a blessing in the sense that, you know, being a tool of God and being used, it, it, just, it was amazing. And day after day I have people tell me, you know, I really wish I could get closer to God. I really wish I could find something, some ministry or something to do. Something big, some big thing, you know, we're going to do missions, we're going to do, and all of those things are fine, but just look around you. There are people who have needs. Everybody has needs. And when you minister to somebody in the name of Jesus, you're the one that's going to get the blessing. I really understood for the first time what that verse is about, the idea of through, through your weakness. God's strength will be displayed. You know, here we go trucking in there to this room to minister to this family. And we're like, what? But through that, God said, no, I'm going to demonstrate my power to this family. To remind them that they didn't do anything wrong with the raising of this kid. He never made it to the fullness of life. But it was a the cause of his death wasn't anything that they had done. They hadn't done anything but love him from the moment of conception up to the, to the end. That baby was, was loved. And they wanted that child dedicated to God. And so that's what we did. We went and we ministered and we did that in the name of Jesus. And please don't come up to me after church saying, Wow, that was so cool. 
because I didn't want to do it. But I did it because it had to be done. It had to be done in the name of Jesus. That's what all of us need to do. Not just the pastor and the, the minister of music. When you see a need, don't be afraid to get involved. Don't be afraid to ask God to help you to meet that need like Jesus. Jesus could have easily said, you know, come back tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'll heal you when it's convenient for me. I mean, I could have said, well, you know, hospitals really don't like it when you go down there, and I'm sure they got things to do, and we don't want to do that. It's not a very convenient time for any of us. It wasn't a convenient time for her to lose her baby either. But we know that ministry is not always convenient. The need was there, a hurting little family, and we had to do something to make that tragedy a little more bearable. It definitely was not easy, but God shows his weak, his strength through our, through our weakness. If you want to experience his blessings, you have to get involved. Sitting around waiting for God to, to suddenly become meaningful to you, to suddenly feel like, wow, uh, I really like this Christian stuff. It really is true. You got to get involved. What's God calling you to do? How can you serve in the name of Jesus? I called Jen because I can't sing a tune in a bucket. I, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. But I brought, Jen came in and Cheyenne's eyes just lit up. She goes, oh, Jen's here. She sings like a goddess. And I'm like, no pressure or anything there, you know. What can you do to serve in the name of Jesus? I know it's not convenient. I know it's not always timely, but the greatest needs that people have, they don't arise according to a convenient schedule. We have to be ready in season and out. As Paul told Timothy, be ready at all times to not only speak the word, but to live it. Well, that said, often our maturity is most revealed through times of inconvenience. C.S. Lewis once stated that surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence of what sort of man he is. When there are needs that need to be met and you don't want to, when things come up out of nowhere, when you're called upon to serve outside of your giftedness or outside of your comfort zone, these are the moments when you can make the greatest impact for the kingdom. Not through your skill, but through your showing them your love. Expressed in inconvenient ways. Jesus wants us to count the cost of our commitment because he knows it will demand everything that we have. In essence, Jesus warns us, you know, you know, stay away from this romantic view of following me. He understands that when we volunteer to go anywhere at any time, that romanticism will wither when our commitment becomes inconvenient or when it collides with the full cost of discipleship. We no longer have the choice to serve when and where it's convenient for us. The Bible says foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lie down and rest. At no time in his life 
did Jesus have it easy, where he could take a break, where he could rest, where he could take time off for ministry. He understood that to follow his calling, the calling that God had placed upon him, it's a full-time thing. To be ready in season and out of season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I've kind of put a challenge out there to everyone. God, help us to minister in your name even when it's inconvenient. When it's going to cost us. When we're going to have to give up an evening. Help us to give to this church financially when it's inconvenient to do that. Help us to love our neighbor when they're unlovable. God, we love you today. Bless this church and thank you, God, for so many talented, gifted, giving people in this church who just drop everything and serve one another. I'm so proud to be involved with this, this work. And God bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen.